0: Zephaniah chapter 3. I uh, began this sermon really wanted to talk about us being more passionate for God. Um, How many of us are passionate about something in our lives? Uh, Whether it's fishing, have you met those guys that are just passionate about fishing? I mean, that's any chance they get, they're in a boat, they've got the fishing poles on, and Uh, There they are, and they can go and not catch a thing, and they go back the next day anyway. They're passionate about it, and they lie to your face, Skip, and tell you how big a fish they caught, and they're just passionate. And then there's the golfers that are passionate about golf, and I've been there. I was addicted to golf for a little while. I'll admit it, and God delivered me from it, but man, when you get in golf, and it just gets a hold of you, you know, and and you just got to play, and there was a time, man, I was Trying to play three or four times a week. And when you do that, you get really good. And then when you can't play, you're not as good anymore. And then it's no fun, you know. But you get passionate about it, everything you do. And you'll see those guys in the mall or at work or different places, those guys always practicing their golf grip, whether they got a golf club in their hand or not. They walk around the office just kind of doing this. And it's just crazy. Or they're passionate about rodeo, like Brother Carl is. have a rodeo on, he'll know it. I don't even need the TV guide to know rodeos now. I get a text every weekend, rodeo, channel 371. And it just, what time and everything. He's passionate about that. Some of us are passionate about sports. I love baseball. The San Francisco Giants are playing their 162nd game today. And if they win today, they go to the playoffs. If they lose today, they might still go to the playoffs. And We'll see how it goes. But I love baseball, man. I can, I can just follow that all day long. I'm passionate about that. Some are passionate about football. I don't know why, but they're passionate about football. I've kind of hung up my NFL um, affiliations. I've been so disappointed in the NFL in the last several years. But some of you are passionate about it. You love football, and, and you get excited about it. And, and you may come here and fool the rest of us, and we may think you're calm, cool, and collected, but you get a passionate sports nut in front of a TV and they turn into an animal. I mean, throwing things around the house, screaming and hollering. It would be nice if some of our church services sound more like game day at your homes. Amen. Where people are like, yeah, amen. Ha, ha, you know, get excited a little bit. We get passionate about things, but I don't know about you, but sometimes we look around us in the church today and we begin to wonder where has the passion for God gone? And uh, most churches you'll find are not full. Most churches are half full at best. And the services are more, sometimes it seems like folks are just there out of obligation. They have to be. And yet there have been times when we've been passionate about God where we couldn't wait to get to church where we couldn't wait to see our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we couldn't wait to to sing and feel the Spirit move in our presence, and we couldn't wait for the preaching of the Word, and we couldn't wait for the altar call to to see who would go forward or who maybe would give their life to Christ this week or, or who would come back to church that had been backslidden and out away from God for a long time. And we've almost lost that passion, and it has just become a ritual to us. And so I've been thinking about that passion or the passion to know God better when we used to devour the scriptures we'd pick them up and read them in the morning and the evening and we'd sneak them to work with us or to school and we we'd always be looking for something that god would speak to our hearts and we were passionate about it or or passionate about prayer where that we had a need and we just had to have people put that on a prayer list and we had to spend time asking god and pleading with god and, and we kept a list and we checked it off as god answered prayers and we just knew that god would answer those prayers And yet maybe today we may have lost a little of that passion or for a revival service. Remember the times when revival was announced and everybody get excited and we think, man, all right, we got to, we finally get to hear some good preaching. We got a guest preacher coming in and and we'll have some good special music. And we were excited about revival. And and nowadays we think revival. Oh no, that means we're going to be in church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, And that's even cutting the passion short because revivals used to be week-long events or even longer if if God began to move. And we've lost that passion. And now churches struggle to have Sunday school even to fill it up or to have Sunday morning and then a Sunday night service to fill it up. And then Wednesday night rolls along and we struggle to do that. And we've just seemed that we've lost a passion for God. And so I began praying and asking God, God, what? how do I speak on that? And you know, the, the thing that the Lord kind of laid on my heart was that maybe it's not the passion that we have that I need to talk about today, but the passion that God has for us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. That our love is a response to God's love for us. And maybe part of the reason we've lost that passion for God is we've forgotten how passionately God loves us. I mean, how could we not love a God that loved us like that? I, uh, I love coming home in the evening. I've got a couple crazy dogs and a crazy cat. Actually, a couple crazy cats. But those dogs can be on my hit list all day. They may have done something terrible the night before. Some of you know, Kath has been gone a few days, and so I, being the good dad that I am, I prepared Jack in the Box for dinner the other night. And I ate in front of the TV, and I left my bag there on the table next to the TV when I was done. And I came home, and Kathy's dog, not mine, mine would never do that, but Kathy's dog shredded that bag. I mean, it was like microscopic pieces of paper everywhere in the house it took me forever to clean it up. And I'm just looking at her and I'm telling her how I'm going to kick her across the yard. And I'm going to, you, you, your mom's not here to protect you. You are walking on thin ice. And I, in my mind, I had visions of stringing her up and snapping a picture and putting it on Facebook and tagging Kathy in the picture so she could enjoy it from Oklahoma. Got it all cleaned up, went somewhere and came back. That dog's wagging her tail and excited that I came home. And it just kind of made me, okay, get over here, you know. And then she's on my lap and I'm loving her because I realized how much she loves me. How do you hate a dog that loves you? And I have to think, how do we lose a passion in a God that is so passionate for us? In Zephaniah, we find a book that is really dedicated to God speaking about judgment. But towards the end of the book, he turns the tables and he begins to talk about restoration. Even though they are being judged and even though they're being told what they've done wrong, God is quick to remind them of how much he loves and cares for them. Aren't you glad that our God is that way? That Even though at times we feel conviction, at times we know that we've done wrong, We've not lived up to what we've promised God. And we feel the God's Holy Spirit speaking to us about it. But God is quick to come alongside us. and He loves us anyway. And so he speaks to these people. And in chapter three of Zephaniah, verse 17, he says this, the Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And I might submit to you that that verse in my mind perhaps reveals the most passion from God we see in Scripture. I mean, we know verses like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know God loves us. We know greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We know God loves us. But we need to know how passionately he loves us. And I know you could say, well, how much more passion you get? He died for us on an old rugged cross. That had to show us and that indeed showed the love of God for us. But I think this verse goes above and beyond that and shows how passionately he really loves us. We men are bad sometimes at expressing our love, aren't we? The wives would probably all say, yes, you are. The men are saying, what are you talking about? It's a rare thing, I know, but many times men have the understanding in their mind, well, of course she knows I love her. I married her. But your wife needs to know that you love her, and she needs to be reminded of it often. She needs you to practice a little of the passion that Zephaniah speaks about here when he says he rejoices over you with gladness, he quiets you with his love, and he exults over you with loud singing. Oh man, we could learn so much for this that would make our marriages better. If we'd get away from this, well, I love her. I, I, I put food on the table and she's got a roof over her head and she can shop anytime she wants. She knows I love her. God here is so passionate for us. And to see this side of God that He celebrates with us, that He quiets us with His love, And that He sings over us in excitement is amazing. It to me is a picture of a a groom. In fact, that's probably what the author has in mind here. and That's what God has in mind. It is a picture of the bridegroom one day singing over his bride, the church. Near Eastern culture, that was normal that a groom would sing and celebrate for the bride. At Beth's wedding, our oldest daughter's wedding, Kyle, her husband had a guitar hidden behind church piano. And at one point during the sermon, he goes, boom. And he just starts to walk away and she's looking at him. And you can tell, he says, this is it. He's leaving me at the altar. And <laughs> he grabs the guitar and he says, I tricked you. And he sang her a song. I don't know how that kid did that. Every eye in the house cried. But that is a picture of what God does for us. That he sings over us. The English Standard Version uses this phrase for the first part of this verse. It says He's a mighty one who will save. That's who God is. The King James Version just says He's mighty and He will save. The New Living Translation says He is a mighty Savior in your midst. The New American Standard calls Him a victorious warrior. And the message by Eugene Peterson says He is a strong warrior there to save you. And so you get the picture of this mighty warrior, this battle-ready soldier that is there to defend us and to save us and to protect us. But at the same time, he is so passionate about us that he laughs and celebrates and loves all over us. God is passionate for us. But before we talk about the passion of God, he also tells us about how present God is in our life in that verse, doesn't he? He says that God is there in your midst. And let me just say this, that we know about the presence of God, don't we? We know that God is everywhere, that he doesn't have to be locked into one place at a time, that God can be with us today in Farmersville, and he can be with Kathy in Oklahoma today. And I don't know why he'd want to be in Oklahoma, but he can be there. Some of you are saying, what are you talking about? But God can be all places. He could even be in Arkansas if He wanted to be there. He's omnipresent, isn't He? He can be with us here today. He can be with all of us at our jobs tomorrow. He can be with our kids even though they go to different schools. He can be in Iraq with the soldiers, in Afghanistan with the soldiers, in Germany with soldiers, and here at home with us all at the same time. And so we know about the presence of God, but Zephaniah is very clear here when he talks about God's presence. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst. And that is very specific. He's right there in the middle of you. He's not just close by. He's not just present. He's right there in your midst. Right there among you. You ever gone to the park with your children and Watch all the parents. The parents look for the park benches, don't they? They look for the shade and the kids get on those play structures and and they have fun, but the parents are lined up around there. But every once in a while, you'll see a crazy parent that is right out there in the midst of everything, climbing on the structures with their little ones, swinging with their little ones. That's the crazy parent. Stay away from them. Something's wrong. God is that kind of parent with us. He says, your mighty warrior is right there in your midst. Right there among you. Thomas Merton wrote these words, God, who is everywhere, never leaves us. Yet He seems sometimes to be present, sometimes to be absent. If we do not know Him well, we do not realize that He may be more present to us when He is absent than when He is present. In other words, those darkest times when we think God's not there, He is more present then than ever before. He is our mighty warrior in the midst of us, right here to save us in our struggle. Psalm 1611, the psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life. And then he says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The joy that we feel is when we come to understand that God is right there in our midst. He's with us. In Psalm 16 and 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. And then he says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. God's presence keeps us from being shaken. Shaken. And there are a lot of things that happen in our lives that could shake us up, aren't there? In 73 and 28 of Psalms, he says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that that I may tell of all your works. In 34 and 18, the psalmist says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's right here in our midst. And maybe you came in here this morning with a broken heart. And you say, well, God certainly isn't in my presence. I'm down, I'm discouraged, I'm broken hearted. No, he is there near the broken hearted. So much so that he makes it very clear here and he points out them specifically. He says, God is near the broken hearted. James 4 and 8, James reminds us in all his wisdom, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I love the promise of James. If we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And in my mind, with this idea of God being present with us, it's almost as if we're walking, and when we need God the most, all we do is turn around and open our arms, and he runs right into us. Because the problem isn't his presence in our life, it's our awareness of his presence. And as soon as we're aware of it, and we open our arms to him, James promises that he draws us in. So God declares that he's not only near us, but he's right here in our midst. He's in the middle of our lives, if you will. Let me give you some statements that I jotted down. In the midst of my illness, he is here and he is mighty. You ever gone through an illness, a serious illness? something that was maybe prolonged, maybe it was life or death, maybe it was just painful, maybe it was just suffering, maybe it was just long enough that it drug out and wore you out. You need to know that in the midst of your illness, He's there. In the midst of my grief, He is here and He is mighty. You ever had grief in your life? Grieving for a loved one that has gone on before you. Grieving the loss of someone. And grief can be a terrible time. No one can really tell us how to overcome grief. But we know that in the midst of our grief, right in the middle of it, He's there. In the midst of my brokenness, He is here and He is mighty. There's times when we are just broken. And I mean broken. You ever felt like you can do nothing right. And that nothing about you is right. That every time you open your mouth, you hurt someone. Every time you try to do something good, it turns out bad. Or every time you think you've got victory over a sin, you stumble right back into it. You do things that you're ashamed of and you don't know why. And the only conclusion you can come to is, there's just something wrong with me. I'm broken. and Indeed, we're all broken because of sin. But in the midst of our brokenness, He's right here with us. In the midst of my depression, He's here and He is mighty. I don't think there's a darker place to be than in the midst of depression, do you? And if you're in that, you know what? You are not alone. We all suffer with it. Some at different times in our life and some for different lengths of time. But even the one that walks into church on Sunday with the biggest smile on their face, I guarantee you they've been there. But in the midst of that deep, dark hole, He's here and He is mighty to save. In the midst of my loneliness, loneliness can be a terrible place. But isn't it ironic that In that loneliness, all along, Jesus is there. We feel so alone, and we don't even realize that he's right there. We are never alone. God is always beside us. In the midst of my trials and temptations, he's here, and he's mighty. And in the midst of my doubts, he's here, and he is mighty. Ever been there when all you had was questions? Sometimes, and maybe it's us as men in particular, men like to have answers. You know, Kathy will say something, and i got to come up with the answer. Well, it's because of this. If I don't know, I make it up. But I hate having questions that I can't answer. And life throws a lot of those at us, doesn't it? Why did that happen? Why did this person get sick? Why did God take them to heaven? Why did I lose that job? Why did my kids end up out of church? Why did my wife leave me? Why did my parents not keep me, but put me up for adoption? Why don't my grandchildren call me? Why am I here? Life has a way of throwing some questions at us that we don't have the answers to. And those questions lead us to doubt, don't they? Does God care about me? Does God love me? Has God forgotten me? Is God angry with me? Is God punishing me? We have all these doubts, but in the midst of these doubts, He's there and He is mighty to save. We need to know that He's present with us. An author said this, Robert Murray McShane. He said, live near to God and all things will appear little to you in comparison with eternal realities. The closer we are to God, the smaller our problems seem. The closer we get to Him. And he tells us, I'm right there and I'm in the midst of this. So Zephaniah says, the Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. And so we know he's present with us. But then he tells us God is passionate about us. God is passionate about us. And sometimes I wonder about that, that if he's so present in my life, how can he be so passionate about me? He knows all my flaws, all my weaknesses, all the mistakes I make, and yet he still loves me. Because that's the love of God. That's how passionate he is. God tells us how he feels about us. The devil likes to throw doubts to us about how God feels about us. And God turns around and says, let me make it very clear how I feel about you. He says he rejoices over you with gladness that is talking about excitement. He uses the word twice, really the same word, a little different tense of it, but rejoicing with gladness. He says, that's how I feel about you. God says, when I see you, I celebrate. When I see you, I'm filled with joy. When I see you, gladness fills my heart. It's like a festival. And to me, it reminds me so much of the parable in the New Testament of the lost sheep or the lost coin. Remember the story? The shepherd had lost something and goes out and finds it and then calls for a celebration. The woman lost a coin, part of her dowry, and when she finds that one coin, she calls everyone in and celebrates. And the parable tells us that just like that, there is more joy in heaven over one soul that comes home. It tells us that the angels rejoice. God celebrates over us. I also think of a new child. How many of us have had that experience of being there when a new baby enters this world? And man, the way we celebrate it, there's just smiles and there's tears and there's laughter and there's joy. There's excitement and people are giving out uh, bubblegum cigars and sees candy suckers and, and everybody's just excited. About this new baby, and and they're tossing the baby in the air, and mother throws a fit, they're just excited. Isn't it funny how we act like fools around a new baby? (laughs) You were all up in there, boo, doo, 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 you know, we talk stupid and we act stupid, we just we're just crazy. He says, I celebrate over you. It's a God in heaven that looks down on you just like a mother on a child or a father and he is so excited that you're his. God makes it clear how he feels about us. And then he says he quiets you with his love. To me that is just like a parent sees that fussy baby. What do they do? They pick it up in their arms and they just wrap it up and they talk to it and they sing to it and all of a sudden the fussing stops. God says, that's what I do to you. I want to pull you in and I want to just love you. And I want you to find peace and quiet and solitude in me. And this world can beat us up really bad. All the while God's saying, just come here. Just come here ever had those moments when you were on the edge emotionally you just had all that you could handle and either your mate or a parent or somebody at church or just somebody near you all they have to do is touch you and pull you in and you just break and all of it comes flowing out but when it's done you just feel better don't you they pat you on the back and say it's going to be okay and God says, I quiet you in my love. I make everything else go away. I stop the noise that's all around you, and it's just you and me. I think of couples that you see sometimes, and there are couples, and Kathy and I are, we're just different maybe, I don't know. But I see couples sometimes we go to eat, and they get around, and they just talk, 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 talk. Sometimes Kathy and I like to go out and we just sit. Don't say a word. And sometimes we don't even have to say anything. Sometimes it's just reaching out a hand. I don't even have to say, hey, give me your hand. Her hand reaches right out. And just sitting there holding hands can make the world just seem like a better place. You'd be surprised how much better this world would be if we would take the time to just rest in the quietness and the love of God. And then he says in Zephaniah that he celebrates over us. He will exult over you with loud singing. You ever thought about God singing? I mean, we always think of a deep voice, don't we? Let there be light, you know, and there's light. Behold, you know, and all these deep voices we hear from heaven and that's God, this majestic thing. But to think about a God that sings and of all things sings about us That's amazing I read a story it was about a little boy and he was sitting on a piano bench in his home and he was just kind of plunking at the keys he didn't know how to play and he was pretending though that he did and there was the sheet music up on the front of the piano and he's just going at it and then his daddy comes in and sees him sitting there the dad walks up to him and he said to him, when you were in mommy's tummy, he says, I would often sit right here with her and I would play this very song for you. The father was shocked when the little boy turned to him and said, oh, so that was you. (laughs) And we hear so much, don't we, about... Mothers that are pregnant and the dad's talking to their tummies and singing to their tummies. And I, I bet you Raymond played clarinet. I bet he stuck the end of that clarinet right on your tummy and just played those songs. And that girl probably dancing around right in the belly. And you're probably thinking, knock it off. You're making her move. And probably when she came out, she heard a clarinet and says, that's dad. I don't know whether this little boy really remembered hearing his dad playing that song or not. But those words, oh, so that was you. I got to thinking about that, and I wonder sometimes if we've actually heard God singing over us and didn't even realize it was him. Maybe he sent someone into our life. Maybe something good happened to us. We were blessed in a certain way or another. Maybe he protected us from something. Maybe he sent someone and they said something to us that we needed to hear at just the right time. Maybe it was performing a miracle for us at just the right time God came through and we didn't even know it was him. And it just makes you wonder when we read Zephaniah, when it says, he will exult over you in song. If maybe we, like that little girl, might say, oh, so that was you. That looking back now, I recognize that God has been celebrating and singing over me all along. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. In our midst, this great God is so passionate about us. We gotta ask ourselves, if he's so passionate about me, how can I not love him back? And in fact, in Zephaniah, when you read this, some have questioned whether God really, what he really meant there by that singing and celebrating. In 17, he said, He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. And if you had any doubt of what he was describing there, you go back to verse 14 and he gives the command to Israel. He says, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And really what he shows us is that God has shown us by how he is passionate for us. How we are to be passionate for him. That maybe we should be celebrating God more than we do. That maybe we should be resting in his love, silent and just pulling up close to him. And that maybe we should be lifting our voices in song for the God who has saved us, for the God who is in our midst. we wonder sometimes what keeps us from experiencing that closeness with God. And Charles Spurgeon talked about the presence of God and he said there were three things that keep us from the presence of God. The first, he said, was just the moral bankruptcy of the human soul. That there was just an emptiness in us. We didn't know any better. The second, he said, was just the foul scent of sin upon us. That that kept us from the presence of God. Just the fact that how can I go into the presence of God? I am so sinful, I'm so dirty. And thirdly, he said perhaps it was the lost concept of majesty. That maybe what kept us from the presence of God was just we didn't appreciate how majestic God was. We have a great warrior in our midst, in the middle of our life, who is passionate for us. This morning, maybe that's the message you needed to hear. Maybe the enemy has convinced you that you're all alone. That Whatever it is you're going through, you're just there alone. And God wants you to know he's right there in the middle of it with you. Maybe this morning you just needed to know how much he loves you. Maybe those doubts had begun to come in. The enemy has been sowing them for a while and they have begun to overtake you. And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit just needed to say, I love you. Don't listen to anyone when they tell you how I feel about you. I'll tell you exactly how I feel about you. I'm passionate for you. And maybe this morning you need to receive Christ as your Savior. You've never accepted Him. You know who he is. You know all about him, but you've yet to surrender your life and just say, here's my life, God. Forgive my sins. I want you to be my savior. I want to commit myself to serving you and following you all day. Right. Let's stand. with Heads bowed, eyes. Nice. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the words of Zephaniah.